Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Insanely Criminal. I'm Jem. I'm Ali. And we have been gone for one week. <laughs> Last week I was not feeling too great and Ali was also not here. Mm-hmm. So we skipped a week. Nice little break. We're on a hiatus. Yeah, a one week hiatus. And uh, I've been off work for one week. Thanks to COVID. But I don't have it. Not yet. Not so that we good. know of. Yeah, not that we know of. Who knows? So what's happened since we've been away? I don't know. Joe Biden is president. Mm-hmm. And that happened. Didn't actually see that coming. Um, I think maybe because things like that don't happen here, where we're always just stuck with the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But Donald Trump will now be gone. Maybe. Do you think he's actually going to go, though? Come on. Probably. You think he will? Yeah. He's just going to pack his bag and be like, yeah, okay. No, he'll probably make a fuss about it. Well, he already is. Mm-hmm. She's done a little tantrum. Yeah, well, that's all he's done for the last four years. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Ah, so enough about the election. Nothing else has happened. Dominic Cummings has resigned. That's some top UK news. Mm-hmm. Um, Boris Johnson, you know, wouldn't sack him for when he drove to Barnard Castle. But oh, is that the person? Yeah, that's Dominic Cummings. Um. Now he's left, so he's gone of his own free will. Good. Good mm. riddance. What an a-hole. So this week, should we get right into it? Sure. Sure, let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. So this week, we are going to be talking about... <gasps> The disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. Ali knows nothing about this case. No. She's looking at my notes now, trying to pick something up. But if you are listening to this, which I hope you are, you probably know about Susan Cox Powell. This is a complete wild ride. It is. Is it crazier than John Bonnet? Yeah. Oh? Yeah. It's actually. Not a nice case, but should we get into it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Susan Cox and Josh Powell met in 2000. They were classmates in a church of the Latter-day Saints religion. Ooh, they were on the same course. But they really hit it off during a dinner party at Josh's home in November 2000. Their relationship moved very quickly and they were married just six months after starting a relationship. Six months? I know. Can I could not imagine that. No. Oh, I couldn't. Oh, I wouldn't after, be able to do that. After six months mm-hmm. knowing somebody. <laughs> no, thank you. They married at the Portland, Oregon Temple. It's also important to note that for a brief period following their wedding, Josh and Susan lived with Josh's father, Stephen, in South Hill, Washington. And we will hear quite a lot about Stephen in this case. Oh. And he is vile. <laughs> Josh was hopping between jobs and Susan had just quit her co- ooh, cosmetology. Cosmetology? Is that right? Cosmetology. Cosmetology. Cosmetology job. Do you know what that is, Ali? Yeah, it's like makeup. Very that. good. I know. Oh, so she became a broker at Wells Fargo in West Valley City, Utah. Josh had dreams of becoming a real estate broker, 
and Susan got her realtor's license also. They were both dedicated to their new careers and Susan was excited about the stability they would have. In 2005, Susan and Josh welcomed their first child to the world, a son named Charles, who we'll just call Charlie. I think they just called him Charlie. Mm -hmm. And two years later, they welcomed their second son, who they named Brayden. They seemed to have it all, and Susan hoped the children would be the glue that held them all together. But things started to sour between Susan and Josh in 2008. Josh was struggling to hold down his job, and he had to file for bankruptcy, which only eroded his marriage to Susan even further. It was not only normal marital bickering. Susan became so worried that she started journaling their struggles and even videotaped assets in case of a divorce. That's not normal. No. <laughs> in 2008, in her journal, Susan wrote, for family and friends of Susan, all except Josh Powell. I do not trust him. I have been having extreme marital stress for three to four years now. For mine and my children's safety, I feel the need to have a paper trail. He has threatened to skip the country and told me if we divorce, there will be lawyers. If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Oh. Oh. Also, three to four years? Yeah. That's a long time to be carrying this on. Yeah, it is, but then I suppose... I don't know, they're Mormon, aren't they? It isn't like divorce heavily frowned upon. Oh, no, I think I think it is, actually. I think it's like really frowned upon. You, I think you're just taught to live with it. Mm -hmm. uh, I could be wrong, if anyone wants to let me know. I don't really know much about... Mormonism, apart from the Book of Mormon. And that's it. Which makes you sound like you've like read the book. Yeah, I, I don't mean the book. <laughs> in the, the show. I was going to call it the play. It's not really a play, is it? No. <laughs> I took Ali to watch Book of Mormon last year, thinking it was just going to be this light-hearted, really fun thing. And I was so You were so very wrong. I was mortified. We walked from the theatre afterwards to get a pizza and I was just like, I can't believe I've just watched that. <laughs> it was great though. Like, yeah, it was, it was really good. And then those two old women sat, they probably thought it was some kind of uh, really religious thing. And they had those little binoculars <laughs> watching it. And then when that bit with the... Uh, you know, the bit I cringed at when they've yeah. got their wangs out. Yeah. They just kind of moved the binoculars <laughs> down and looked at each other like, what is this? <laughs> and we got really good seats. Yeah, because your seat was broken. Yeah, my seat broke. <laughs> <laughs> Not while I was sitting on it, it was broken before. <laughs> but anyway, enough about the Book of Mormon for now. Susan knew her family was in danger but she could never foresee what would happen. Before we get into the case, let's take a brief look back at the early life of Josh Powell. And it is absolutely crazy. Oh. Josh's parents, Stephen and Terrica, divorced in 1992 and were said to have had a very tumultuous marriage. What's it? his mum's name? Terrica? Terrica. 
Like Erica, but with a T. Yeah. Terrica. Oh, Terrica. I like it. <laughs> Terrica. Terrica has spoken about how much of a disciplinarian Stephen was and said he had previously attacked Josh. This chaotic childhood had a terrible impact on Josh, so much so that Josh tried to hang himself when he was a teenager. So Stephen, already we know he sounds like a great father of yeah. the year here. We're mm-hmm. really set in the scene. But it only gets worse, shall we? Oh, great. Terrica says that Stephen had an addiction to pornography and would often show their son's pornographic films. Why didn't Terrica stop it? Exactly. Get Why? on your game, Terrica. Come on, Terrica, mate. thought you were better than this, Terrica. Oh, Jesus. How, how, oh, it's like, do you want to come and watch this film with me? And it's a porno. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. It's disgusting. But how does that come into conversation? I don't know. Like, oh, dad, what are you watching? Oh, it's this. I can't think of any porno names, but it's this. Do you want to watch it with me? Do you want to come and watch Finding Nemo? And then it's just like, it's not Finding Nemo. Yeah, it's not Nemo they found. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were watching Disney films, Dad. <laughs> I bet someone somewhere has made a porno out of Finding Nemo. Oh, no. They usually do it. Like they did oh, one with no. uh, Saving Private Ryan. If anyone's going to hear in this, you all know what it's called. <laughs> uh, Ali looks very confused. <laughs> Josh's grandmother and Terrica's mother, Carol Martin, portrayed Stephen as very anti-church, anti-country, anti-authority, anti-morality, and very radical. Nice. I mean, aren't we all (laughs) anti-church? Well, I am. (sighs) No offence if anyone's into it. It's just not for me. So... Carol also said Stephen taught the boys to mock and insult their mother because this is something that Stephen did often. Poor Terrica. Now I'm like, Terrica. oh, Terrica. <gasps> Terrica deserves deserve better than this. Better. Come on, Terrica. Come on, girl. You deserve better. <laughs> Most people who grow up in violent households do not become violent and instead I would say they flip completely to never be like their parents. That's what I would say. Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, I don't know. I've never grown up in a violent household. Neither has Ali. (laughs) But this could not be said for Josh. Despite the abuse he suffered from his father, he was turning into his father very quickly. One evening, Josh threatened his mother with a butcher knife when he was asked to do the dishes. Leave Terrica alone. Come on, man. Oh, can you imagine? Poor Terrica like, oh, Josh, can you please help me do the dishes? And he just whips out this butcher's knife. No, bitch. No. (laughs) I mean, that is just uh, (laughs) my version of events. I'm not saying that's what happened. But (laughs) nah. (laughs) No way, fam. (laughs) Imagine that. Oh, my God. Josh is... uh, Again, we are uh, setting the scene for Josh here as well. Uh, Stephen hated women and Josh followed suit. 
Now, uh, if you like animals, maybe cover your ears. Josh even killed his sister's pet gerbil. Oh. Oh no. Oh, it's like, you know when you watch a film, there's like violence and you're like, oh, don't hurt the dog. Mm-hmm. Oh. Don't hurt the gerbil. No, never hurt the animals. Somehow, Stephen initially gained custody of four of his children. <gasps> How? Oh, well, I don't know. His daughter went to live with her mother, but also eventually went to live with Stephen too. At some point, Stephen's parents gained custody of all five children for a year before returning to live with their mother. By the time they were back with Terika, they were all deeply traumatised, which I would say is uh, unsurprising. Mm-hmm. I think I also would be. Despite Stephen having a disparaging view on women, he once expressed his right to take another wife. Ew. He had his eyes on someone who was already married. He became obsessed with her and, wait for it, started writing songs about her and even writing down his sexual fantasies involving her. Oh! Gross. All right, then. If anyone has ever seen Stephen and the videos are all out there, he gives me... The creeps. Like if he was pursuing me. What's he look like? Oh my god. Google it. Just Google Josh Powell, Dad. It's just, it's something else, Sally. It's something else. Josh's sister, Jennifer Powell Graves, submitted a letter to court recounting a conversation she had with her father after reading an article about men who stalk and kill former lovers. In her letter, Jennifer said, I asked him if he would do that to mum if she left him. And he said, I'd like to think I wouldn't go that far. Ali's just looked he is at a bit Stephen gross. Powell. He is grim. So, yeah, Stephen says he wouldn't go that far. But he'd like to think he wouldn't go that far. But, ugh, he makes me sick. So, I mentioned briefly earlier that Susan and Josh lived with Stephen after getting married. And let's talk more about that. During this time, Stephen became obsessed with Susan. He would videotape her doing menial chores in the house. He used a small mirror to spy on her in the bathroom. He stole underwear from her laundry basket, read her private journals and posted love songs about her online. He saw Susan as the ultimate prize, the wife of his son who he thought he could steal away from Josh. Stephen believed that Susan Susan was flirting back with him, which was not the case. In his own diary entries, he wrote, What has driven me in the past year is primarily lust. I have never lusted for a woman as I have for Susan. I take chances sometimes to take video clips of her, which I watch regularly. Oh, he makes me sick. And it actually just gets worse. This is like... How how does it get worse? (laughs) It gets much, much, much worse. He's like the ultimate creep. I think I kind of gathered that. 
Yeah, he's just... Ugh. His obsession with Susan grew and grew, which is what led Susan and Josh to move out of the state. And we will come back to Stephen again, because he does play a very big part in this case. Brilliant. Fantastic. Can't wait to hear more of Stephen. Can't wait to hear about you later, Steve. <laughs> so let's fast forward to 2009. Christmas was approaching, and on the morning of December 6, Susan attended church with Charlie and Brayden, and then they all walked home with a friend of Susan's. Josh did not attend church and was backing further away from the church as he could. But Susan seemed to be spending more and more time there. Later on that afternoon, their neighbour, I think her name is Giovanna. Giovanna? Giovanna. Yeah, Giovanna Owings came over to visit Susan. Susan had invited her over as she needed some help in untangling some yarn she was using to make a blanket for Charlie. Giovanna said she recalled seeing Josh cooking, which she later said was strange. Josh was making eggs and pancakes for dinner. He had told for dinner. you. Yeah, for dinner. <laughs> I would want more than that. I mean, today for lunch, Charlie and I had a like, banging cottage pie today. <laughs> banging. It was banging. <laughs> it was. It was pretty good scram. It good was, scram. It was, it was great good scram. scram. <laughs> it was proper scrammed it down. It was scramlicious. It really was. You scrammed it down? Yeah. That's what people say. Just good scram. Scrammed it down. Oh my god. Okay, enough of the scram. Let's see what scram Josh is making. <laughs> Eggy scram. Oh, Eggy scram. He had told Giovanna that she could stay for dinner for the scram, but not to invite her children as he did not have enough food. I, I probably wouldn't stay. I've got a sauce. I've got my kids at home. I don't want your eggs. I've got my own eggs. Got my own scram at home. <laughs> scram. Another strange aspect of the house was a half-decorated Christmas tree, which sat in the living room. Susan said she was waiting for Josh to get the rest of the decorations, but there were already gifts under the tree. So I don't find that particularly odd, no. but the article I read said that it was very odd. It was odd to see a half-decorated Christmas tree. I don't know. Maybe it would be. It depends how long it's been half decorated yeah. for. Maybe Josh is just a lazy git. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to get the rest of the decorations. The baubles and the tinsel. Yeah, the lights. Oh, you got to have the lights. No tinsel, though. I'm not a big tinsel. Oh, fan. I like tinsel. No, it's itchy. It's very itchy. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, where are we? Susan had told Giovanna that she and Josh were having counselling through the church. But because Josh was backing away from the church, he was not attending any sessions. Giovanna also said she was nervous about talking with Susan about her marriage with Josh, especially as he was in the house. He tended to butt into every conversation. Ugh. He makes me sick. What an idiot. I hate people that do You're gonna that. back away from the church, then back away. <laughs> is that don't your, come. Is that your own? Don't come butting back in. That's not what 
If he's butting into the conversations, he wasn't sure to get his butt back into church. <laughs> Don't butt in the church. <laughs> Well, if he's backing away from the church, then that means he's not going to be want to get be his around. back in. Yeah, he's not going to want to be around like church people. Church talk. Yeah, he's not going to want to talk church talk. So, don't butt yourself back in. Well, they're not talking about the church. They were talking. Yeah, but it's a church person. Oh, you can still talk to church people. Yeah, but if he's anti-church, he's not anti-church, is he? He's just an no, he's backing away from the church. Oh, sorry, Ali's uh, all of a sudden become a big advocate for the Church of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put your butt back in this church, <laughs> Josh Powell. But he can't You're anyway. Back out, stay out. <laughs> he can't butt back into the church. But I'll leave that until the end of the tale. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Josh's butt will never be back into the church. Whilst Giovanna was at the Powell home, she recalls Susan saying she was cold. Josh dropped everything he was doing with the scram and brought her a blanket. She recalls this being a sweet gesture and thought he must not be as bad as others made him out to be. I bet he is. At 5pm, Susan said she was tired. She had sadly just suffered a miscarriage and was also battling an ear infection. Giovanna told her to rest. At around 5.30pm, Josh said he was taking the boys sledding, so Giovanna showed herself out. And uh, here we go. Down the twisted tail. Are oh, we ready? I don't know, am I? Oof, I don't think you are, but maybe. Yeah, we'll <clears throat> see. Give it a go. A neighbour saw Josh arrive home with the boys at 8.30pm that evening. Three hours after this, another neighbour, Marco Bastidas, said he was locking up his car at around 11.30pm when he heard an alarm sound from inside of the garage of the Powell home. He said it was odd as the house was in complete darkness. His sister said he should alert the neighbours but he decided it was too late to bother anyone and left it. Another neighbour heard a man and woman shouting and arguing in the vicinity of the Powell home. She would later tell police that she regrets not looking to see who was there and where the noise was coming from. At approximately 12.30am, Josh loaded his boys in the minivan and took them camping. Much on a whim. In winter. In winter? In Utah. Freezing, freezing cold. Much colder than our winters. Why, why would you do that? Just keep it in your mind. Keep it, store it in your memory for camping. He was taking them to the Simpson Springs campground, which was in the remote west desert of Tool County. He would later say that Susan stayed home, asleep in bed. So let's talk about this camping trip, Ali. I mean, why would you take two small boys camping in December after midnight in winter? I don't know. In Utah. <laughs> I don't know. Can you imagine 
me waking you and your brother up when you were these kids age like get in the car we're going camping it's winter i mean that's a bit bit sus that oh yeah considering we don't have a car yeah (laughs) even more sus Mm. (laughs) okay josh was also scheduled to be at work the following day and charlie and Braden were scheduled to be at daycare the daycare provider grew worried the next day when Charlie and Braden were nowhere to be seen. They always arrived promptly at daycare. So that would send alarm bells ringing. You know, if they hadn't arrived, mm-hmm. it'd be like, if you didn't turn up to school, you've got a good record. And your brother have always been there on time. Something, you know, you'd think that was odd. Mm-hmm. The provider grew concerned and called Josh and Susan but no one answered. Then they contacted Josh's mother and sister who became alarmed and contacted the police. The police conducted a wellness check and broke into the house when no one answered. Inside, they did not find anyone, but they found two large fans blowing on a wet spot on the carpet. Ooh, what do we think could have happened? Blood. Mm-hmm. The picture of this also is available. You don't see any blood, so if anyone wants to look online, you can just see how very odd it looks that there would be two fans in a living room in winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist, but <laughs> I am. <laughs> okay. It was not until the evening when Josh finally answered his phone. He was informed that police were waiting for him at the home. He was taken to the West Valley Police Station and questioned. He told them about the camping trip. Detectives said he appeared extremely nervous when being questioned and even seemed suspicious. Susan was missing and Josh said he had no idea where she could be. After all, he took the boys camping and left her at home, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's what happened. Josh immediately became a person of interest in the disappearance of his wife. Charlie, well, you'll find out now. Charlie was also questioned and told the police about the camping trip they went on. But when police went to search the area, they found no evidence of a campsite. So that could probably be down to like fresh snowfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming like the winters are quite hard in Utah. And it's like when we have quite a lot of snow here, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to cover things, isn't it? So Charlie said that Susan had gone with them, but she did not come home with them. A few weeks later, Charlie told his teacher that his mother was dead. Braden, a few months later, drew a picture of a van with three people in it. He told carers that mummy was in the trunk. Um. Uh, hate. Yeah. <coughs> um. He drew a picture of that. Um. How would you react? I'd like. Oh. If you saw that. Like. Oh, oh. Okay. Like in my job. I've been told, like, obviously, 
um, if kids tell you stuff like this, you have to report it straight away. But I think I'll just be like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I would tell somebody, but oh, that would be horrific. Hate it. Furthermore, when police searched the house on December 9th, they found traces of Susan's life insurance policies for Susan, valued at $1.5 million, and a letter from Susan where she expressed she was fearing for her life. So where was Susan? If she decided to stay home, had she gotten out of bed and decided to leave Josh? But why would she leave everything in the house? Her phone and her purse and pretty much everything you would definitely take with Mm -hmm. you if you were going to leave somebody. On December 10th, Josh, Charlie, Braden and 100 neighbours gathered for a candlelight vigil in Westview Park. They all handed out flyers praying for Susan's safe return. Josh even shed a few fake tears for the camera that were present. Ugh. Great. I think you find that quite often when, um, I mean, it's been like a couple of cases I can think of in this country where it's happened. Uh, there was a case, Shannon Matthews, that was like a big insurance, like reward money scam. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about that one, but she was like a young girl, like eight or nine. And her parents were like, oh my God, she's disappeared. But they'd got somebody to kidnap her and hide her. And then they, this went on for like two weeks where like the mum and dad were like crying, like, oh my God, please bring her home. And there was like all this reward money. Mm-hmm. And then they found the girl and she was like, yeah, my mum said I had to stay here. And it was crazy. And also Ian Huntley, did the same thing as what Josh Powell is also doing. Ian Huntley killed two young girls in Soham in England. Uh, This happened years and years ago. But he was there, there's footage of him there in like news conferences and like, oh, please find them. Oh, they're such lovely girls. But he had murdered them. You'll find it quite often that if someone's committed the crime, they will go back if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to cover the West Memphis 3. I have done a West Memphis 3 episode. But the person I think is the killer also did the same thing there. So, yeah. I just... Mm-hmm. I think they do it to appear like, oh, well, I'm hit right here. They kind of mm-hmm. It's kind of like invincibility, maybe. That's yeah. what I think. I mean, if I killed somebody, I probably wouldn't go around in the cameras, but there we go. In 2010, Josh relocated. Now, here we go. Now, I'm going to murder a name. Pile up? Washington? Pile up? Pile up? With Charlie and Braden. There, they lived with, you guessed it, Stephen. Yay. And Josh's brothers, Michael and Jonathan, and his sister, Alina. Sometime in 2010, the website susanpowell.org was launched and the posts on the site defended Josh Powell and said he was the victim of a smear campaign. Okay. A smear campaign brought forward by the Church of Latter-day Saints. Susan's family. So it's just like tarnished his name. Oh. And they thought Susan's family had something to do with it and also Josh's sister, Jennifer. 
Josh and Stephen both later stated that Susan was suffering from a mental illness and had abandoned her family to start a new life with another man. Sure. <sighs> of course, because uh, we're all crazy as women. We're all yep. crazy. Mm -hmm. It's always a mental illness. <laughs> Maybe you're just an asshole. <laughs> That's my uh, theory. And there's like no evidence to back this up that Susan mm -hmm. had another man in her life. And I do not think she would have done that. No. Otherwise, I think she would have been gone a long time ago if she would have done that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. A family friend notified authorities that Stephen had been infatuated with Susan investigators later showed up at the home of Josh and Stephen and seized thousands of images of Susan from the computer of Stephen. Police also became suspicious of Michael after finding out that he had sold his truck shortly after the disappearance of Susan. Police later found the car and a sniffer dog indicated the smell of human remains although DNA done on the car was inconclusive. On September 14, 2011, authorities in Utah discovered a possible grave site while searching the Topaz Mountain. Ooh, that sounds really nice. The Topaz Mountain. The police dug a few feet down but did not find any remains. After a police raid in their home in 2011, Josh and Stephen began speaking to major news outlets regarding Susan and said she had been writing about the relationship between herself and Stephen. Stephen said the journals contained evidence to support his theory that she had run away with another man. A judge, however, issued an injunction banning Stephen and Josh from ever publishing the journals and they were demanded to hand them over to the Cox family or destroy them. I remember watching the, I think it was an oxygen special about this, but I think there's something else too. And yeah, I think at one point, Stephen was like walking around with this journal and it was like, oh my uh, God, like, you know, your daughter-in-law's missing and you're just parading around with her journal. I mean, it's just weird behavior. Obviously we know Stephen's mm. a POS, but. We know. Things soon took a turn for the worst for Stephen Powell. Very good. On 22nd of September 2011, he was arrested on charges of child pornography and voyeurism. What's voyeurism? Uh, like a peeper. Oh. A peeper. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Police found evidence that he had videotaped not only Susan, but many other women and young girls. The Assistant Attorney General for Washington, John Long, said that Josh had been the subject in the child pornography case. So Stephen had been filming Josh, is what I'm getting from that. Oh. When he was a child. Ooh. After this, a court granted Chuck Cox the custody of Susan's children, Charlie and Braden. After the arrest of Stephen Powell, the courts told Josh that he would need to move out of Stephen's home if he ever wanted custody of his children again. In late September, 
Josh's sister Jennifer says she believed he was responsible for the disappearance of Susan. Alina also said she was suspicious, but she later withdrew her comments. I think Alina is very like pro Josh, pro Stephen. Oh, great. Whereas Jennifer kind of knows that they're scumbags. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jennifer. there's always one like Alina. In late 2011, Josh had to undergo a series of court-ordered evaluations to determine if he was a fit parent. James Manley, who conducted the evaluation, believed Josh fit the criteria of a fit parent. He had no criminal record, no history of domestic violence, and had a steady employment history. Manley did have concerns, however, about the ongoing investigations into Susan's disappearance, as well as the overbearing behaviour he demonstrated with his sons, and also Josh's paranoia. He was granted visitations several times a week, supervised by a social worker. Now, I'm sorry, if I was a social worker and you're being really overbearing to children, maybe you're not a fit parent. Yeah. Maybe you're an ass, and treat kids like humans, I say, not mm-hmm. as things to shout at. It's not my, it's not my jam. No. Really not my jam. But let's get back to this. Uh, This is a bit of a rough one, Ali. Here we go. In late January 2012, 400 images of simulated child pornography. Simulated? Yes. Simulated. So. So, like, not real? No. Simulated. Please think of the word. Yeah. (laughs) So, people having sex with children oh oh it's not a video game Molly <laughs> oh. <clears throat> there was also images of incest and bestiality which is uh, um, doing it with the animals yep gross they were found on a computer in the Powell home the computer did belong to Susan the images were thought to be from previous owners of the computer but courts threw the blame at Josh. Despite these allegations, no change in visitation was made. So just keep that in your mind that Josh Powell is still allowed to see these children. After that being found. I mean, okay, so now we're gonna get to the roughest part of the story. Are we ready? Yeah. Hold on to your butt. So, February 5th, 2012, Josh was on a scheduled visit with Charlie and Brayden. They arrived at his home with their social worker, who had to supervise each visit. So she would go into the home and Mm -hmm. sit there, just to, you know, supervise, obviously. Elizabeth Griffin Hall, the social worker, recalls Josh grabbed the boys took them inside and would not let her in. Griffin was frantic and called the authorities. Again, if you want to watch the Oxygen documentary, please do so. I think I recall this phone call being on the, where you hear Elizabeth calling it through. 
Soon after, the house exploded with Braden, age five, and Charlie, age seven, inside. After a quick investigation, police said the explosion was deliberate and had been planned. The official cause of death was poisoning by carbon monoxide. Although significant chopping injuries were present on the heads and necks of Charlie and Braden. What the hell? Yeah. I read the house exploded. Was that was that enough for you anyway? Yeah. So this would indicate to me that Josh tried to behead them before blowing the house up. This is what it would indicate to me. Um, How did the social worker not hear this? She did. Oh. But I think that she was there on the phone, like, he's not letting me in, he's not letting me in. And then I think in the phone call, I could be wrong, I haven't watched this for a long time, you hear the house, like, explode. Oh, so is she not in the house? No, she's in a car. He wouldn't let her in the home. Oh, I thought she she went into the home and then they took them into the room. No, 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 no. Oh. He wouldn't let her in, so she phoned the authorities and they wouldn't do anything. They're like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And she was like, no, you don't understand. Get somebody here now. Something's going to happen to these kids. Like, she feared for their life. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. It's not a nice phone call to listen to. But if you want to understand more about this part of the story, it's maybe important to listen to it. I'm not going to put it in the episode. Okay. But it is out there if you would like to listen to it. A hatchet was found near Josh's body. And it is thought that he attacked them shortly before the explosion. There was also evidence that the house had been doused in gasoline. Some of Josh's friends said he contacted them via email on that day, minutes before the explosion, to say goodbye. Josh had also donated all of the children's toys and books to charities the day before the explosion. Authorities contacted Stephen to tell him what had happened. He said he wasn't mad or upset about the death of his son and grandchildren. What? Yeah. But he was just more upset that it was the police officers that told him the news. Well, who else is going to tell you? Uh, I don't know, carrier pigeon? Like, he's not... Josh isn't going to come back from the grave being like, yep, I'm dead now. No. Like, then would he be at peace? Maybe. Um, I mean, I don't think Stephen cared much about anybody no. anyway, but... Uh, Stephen was convicted on voyeurism charges in May 2012. Susan's family still believes he knows or knew exactly what happened to Susan. And he died on July 23rd, 2018, one year after being released from prison. So, he knows. He definitely knows. He knows. Josh knows. Um, I would say Josh killed Susan. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, apart from like Susan's never been found, of the Chris Watts thing. Mm-hmm. It's like an, it's not a family annihilation. Um, I mean, but well, it is really because he killed both of his kids in the end. But who would do this? I mean, I don't know. Who takes a hatchet to their kid's head? I swear, then, you only pick. 
with hatchets. Stories with hatchets in them. Well, next week there's no hatchets. Oh, for God's sake. I know. When I said hatchet and it was like a really deep part of the thing, Ali was just there going <gasps> next to me like, hatchet again. <laughs> he makes a return. Hatchet cast. So the case still remains open and Susan is still considered a missing person. And knowing what Josh could do to Charlie and Brayden, I think we can safely say that Susan lost her life on December 6th, 2009. Charlie and Brayden are buried in Woodbine Cemetery, where there is also a memorial for their loving mother, Susan. Aww. So what did you think of that one, Ali? Mental. Is it the worst we've done so far? I don't know. I don't think it is. No. I would still say Chris Watts is the worst we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um... Or Moore's Murders, that was pretty Oh, I forgot we did that. I tried to block it from my memory. Didn't we have to do something like fluffy afterwards just to... Mm. What did we do? Did we watch Hamilton? I think so. I think we watched Hamilton, which we also did last night. We were going to record last night, but then I put Hamilton on. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the tale of Susan Cox Powell. Um, it's not an easy listen, like most of these cases. But I think it's also always important to talk about it, especially um, violence against women. And uh, I'm glad Stephen Powell is dead. Mm-hmm. And Josh Powell. I also want to mention, like, when they went through Stephen Powell's stuff, they found, like, all of this stuff belonging to Susan, like, nail clippings. No. Hair, and wait for it, used tampons in bags. And he'd written on them, Susan's tampons. Like he'd put them in like little Ziploc bags and kept them. And he had like loads of like videos of her. And they're all, some, well not all of them, some of them are on the auction documentary. Like she's getting out of the car and he's there like, oh, she's looking at me. He's just vile and uh, his death was uh, truly not a loss for this world. Mm-hmm. Not a loss. But yeah, I need to go and do. I need to go and cleanse myself now. <laughs> cleanse yourself. <laughs> full body. Uh, yeah, definitely. So thank you everybody for listening and always tweeting uh, about us. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> we love it, don't we, Ali? Yeah. Yeah. And next week it's my birthday. It is. It's a birthday episode. Should do a birthday crime. Like a crime that happened on your birthday. A crime that I'm getting older. <laughs> That's the real crime. Like a crime that happened on your birthday or a crime that Oh, maybe birthdays. I could do that. I'm gonna have a look. Never mind, like it'll be Ted Bundy. And I'm not doing that. Doesn't he have like a birthday close to you or something? Yeah, I think he does. No. Does he? I'm there was check. someone that had a birthday close to you. Because oh, yeah. you checked once. I think it's Bundy. I didn't have one. Wasn't his like the 23rd or something? Oh, it's the 24th. He's three days after me. Aren't like a lot of serial killers like born in like November or September? No, only the female ones. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of uh, female killers who were Scorpios like me. Mm -hmm. Amazing. The angry sign. Wow, thanks. They're like labelled as like the angry sign. Well, I'm like just on the cups. Cups? Cups. Cups. I'm (laughs) I'm on on the cups. (laughs) 
<clears throat> I'm on the cusp. I'm like right at the end of Scorpio season. What's last one year? Days? I was actually a Sagittarius. What do you mean? Because it one started year you were... on the 21st, one year. It's never happened oh. again. It was like when I was about eight. You're and I read it in like Girl day. Talk magazine <gasps> or something. Girl Talk. Girl Talk. Girl Talk was. Only bought it for the glitter poem and the problems. The problem pages. <laughs> Love the problem pages. <laughs> Dear so and so. I kissed a boy. Am I pregnant now? <laughs> no. Samantha likes Jeremy, but I do too. What do I do, girl talk? <laughs> it's like, uh, a scandal. You get on with your life. It's what you do. Bring this nine-year-old girl. Yeah. I never wrote into a problem, bitch. I didn't. They wouldn't have been able to handle But on that note... <laughs> It's time for us to go. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.